This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in the final week of the book of Ephesians. Can we clap for that? It has been... It has been 28 weeks. Um, I mean this when I say this. I still love and enjoy this book, probably more so today than I did the first week that we were moving into preaching through this book. Um, In fact, so much so that we're even considering, I was talking to Steve this week, we're considering using a a couple of weeks um, with a connect group style and reinforcing elements of the book of Ephesians in a a small group discussion uh, because it's that important. It is that uh, amazing of a book and so I have enjoyed that we are we have been in it now 28 weeks and uh, we are going to close it out today our series title has been in Christ in Christ and really if you think about it that's what the book is the th- central theme has been about uh, in Christ our riches in Christ our the the the, the grace that we have in Christ and then how we live in our relationships and our walk in Christ. We ought to live in Him and through Him. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, if you understand the way Paul typically writes his letters to the churches, he always ends, and we're going to read it this morning, he always ends with kind of like a formal uh, greeting as his close. And he'll say, he'll mention someone's name usually, and greet them or you know grace to you and all these different things and i'm not necessarily gonna skip that in fact if you remember the first week i believe we did the book of ephesians it was grace and peace and we talked about grace and peace so we didn't skip over that um but i fear and maybe this is just the pastor in me it's like man we've been through this book and we've really gotten some good stuff from god's word i feel like i know i have and then we get to the end it's like all right we're gonna have our final week in the book of ephesians all right, this person right here, you've never seen their name before, and you're never going to see their name again in the Bible. They greet you, and they're going from this town to this town. Peace. See you guys. And that's really kind of how it is. And so I don't want to do that. I want us to end today. I want us, when you leave here today, um, I want you to leave here going, oh, sweet. I was reminded of some of the things that we talked about. Like, this brought it all together and closed. And that's the way I want to close it, if you'll allow me, uh, this morning. Ephesians Chapter number six, today we're going to take a look back, a look back. Ephesians chapter six and verse 18, we did mention this, this verse <clears throat> down through verse 20 last week, but we're going to tie it together. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. If you remember that mystery, we're going to speak of it in a little bit. That mystery was that Jesus was the Savior of the Jews and the Gentiles and the Greeks, uh, both your race and other races. That was the mystery. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may, be, uh, may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, that's a cool name, um, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. 
Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you. I'm sorry, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Paul closes his letter to the Christians there in the town of Ephesus with a plea for the for the believers to live a life of prayer. Praying always. Now we learned last week, if you were here, that verse 18, praying always, is also connected to verse 17, which that is part of the armor of God. And we don't need to leave off the praying always that we're going to talk about today from the armor of God. And we, we spoke about that last week. However, he, he closes with just not just praying always, but in verse 19, Paul says specifically, would you pray for me that I would continue to have boldness to speak as I ought to speak? He's in prison. Paul's writing this from prison. And I love the, the, the picture in my mind of this man maybe chained, maybe his feet in shackles, maybe writing this letter and saying, hey, pray for me that I would be bold to do this all over again. Hey, pray for me that if, it, if, if the Lord gives me an opportunity that I would once again proclaim his name and the mystery of the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles, even if it means I wind up back in jail. I, I love the picture there of, of this servant of Jesus, this man who has given his life for the gospel, saying basically, if I had it to do over again, God, give me boldness to do it all over again. What a testimony. Uh, my, my father is getting on up in years, and um, he has been diagnosed with dementia, and so he's a little different than, than the way I remember him. But I, I, I've had conversations with him where I've always said, Dad, what would you do differently? He just said, I'd give more of my life to Jesus. I'd just do more for Jesus. If I could do it over again, I'd do more for Jesus. And, you know, that's really what I see Paul, what I see in Paul here. Paul's saying, listen, I'm in prison. By the way, you, know, you understand, Paul's not Jesus. So Paul did not know if he was going to ever get out of prison. We do understand that, right? Like Paul, for all we know, Paul's like, I'm sitting here on death row awaiting my execution. And he says, pray for boldness that I would speak the gospel. But notice that he says that, I may, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Boldly. As I ought to speak, I see this that Paul was saying, Pray for me that I may have boldness, but wisdom. Boldly, but as I ought to speak, wise. This is a wonderful prayer that each of us should be praying in our lives, and that is, God, give us boldness to say what needs to be said, but give us wisdom to say it how it needs to be said. You see, we have a lot of people in in our society that are very bold to say what they think the truth is. But they're not very, very wise in how they speak that truth. Hey, we have, the the scripture gives us we should speak the truth in, in love. God, give me boldness to stand for what's right, but give me wisdom to not be a jerk while I'm doing it. That's in the, the Josh Cox version. It's coming out in a couple of years. PG-13, it's going to be great. No, it's horrible. 
But the truth is this. I believe the last, was it been five weeks? I believe we've been in the Connect Group study. We've been in a study by Dr. Tony Evans called Watch Your Mouth. And he has a lot of funny sayings in there. I won't repeat them this morning. He's like the king of like the, the, corny, uh, the corny sayings. Um, when Jesus is in your jaws, there will be power in your palate or whatever. And he, uh, he's good with all that stuff. But in a nutshell, what we've been talking about for the last five weeks is this. It's not just important what you say. It's very important how you say it. It's very important how you say it. Uh, parents, I believe we understand this. We can discipline our kids and we can say something and we can say it a certain way. And we can say the same exact words with a different tone of voice. And it could come across a very differently. Hey, listen, uh, one parent can lovingly discipline and correct their child and say some very pointed things to their child, but their child will be loved through it and nurtured through it, while, the, while another parent can say the exact same thing to their child with a spirit of anger and out of frustration, and it comes across completely differently, and the reaction of that child compared to that child is going to be radically different. And you say, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure why my kid's reacting the way he's reacting. Well... Maybe it's because we haven't prayed for boldness and wisdom. Boldness and wisdom. That's not what today's sermon is about, but maybe that's what you could take from it today. Give me boldness, but give me wisdom. But Paul then tells the church that Tychicus will report to them about the current state of Paul as he's in prison. So Paul was going to write this letter, and evidently this, this young man, I'm going to call him T., because his name's kind of odd. So T was going to take it to Paul, and he's going to say, listen, there's obviously been some time from the time this letter's finished until it's delivered. He's going to give you an update on my condition. He's going to tell you how, how I am doing. Um, and so uh, this man obviously is not a popular person in Scripture necessarily, but I love what it says that, he, that, that T was going to serve as a tool of comfort for the church. A tool of comfort. Verse 22 says that Tychicus was going to comfort your hearts. This man possessed the ability to comfort other people. And what a wonderful quality that is to possess. What a a worthy quality it is for all of us to seek and develop from this man who's not mentioned often in Scripture that none of you would really know. This man was going to come and comfort the church. And so just a couple of practical things we could learn from the very end of this uh, text from the very end of this letter we should seek for boldness coupled with wisdom balanced with wisdom and then seeking to be a comfort you see Tychicus could have shown up there in Ephesus and said guys let me tell you something Paul is in prison he is in chains we don't know what's going to happen because they didn't there's no telling you know what more than likely he's going to get killed Here's his letter. See you later. You know, but I believe with the comfort, with the verbiage that Paul gives, I believe Tychicus showed up and said, hey, listen, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it's been pretty bad for Paul. He's in prison, but I'm telling you what, he's writing letters to churches. In fact, he wrote four of them, and you guys are one of them. I tell you what, he's staying strong. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know this. You guys keep on doing what's right. You guys keep serving Jesus, and Paul's, Paul's he's hanging tough. The Lord is his shepherd it's just a comforting and you know this when you walk into any situation you can either comfort in that situation or you can stir up 
that situation. I believe we mentioned in our connect group not too long ago, anytime there's something going on, there may be a flame lit somewhere. You can either pour gasoline on that flame or you can pour water on that flame. And as Christians in the, com- in the, in the, in the, the spirit of being a comfort to one another, we need to become professionals at pouring water on flames. We don't need to be the one that stirs it up. We, mean, we need to be the one that comforts. That is just the two practical things that I gathered from the very end of this letter. Here's what we're going to, a little bit different. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the rest of our time this morning, and we're, I'm going to go back through and highlight some major points that we've made throughout the book of Ephesians. A little bit different this morning, if you guys will bear with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, this has been a wonderful book. This has been a wonderful journey that we have taken um, through this book. And God, I pray that you would help it to, uh, to stay with us, not just this morning, but as we move on, as we read our Bibles personally. God, I pray the next time we come around to this specific book of the Bible, God, we are more prepared. We are ready to hear from you. Uh, God, we have a better understanding of what you have for us in your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm. Good room temperature water. <laughs> I've had some favorite parts of the book of Philippians. I mean, I'm sorry, Ephesians. That too, that's a good book. I'm looking. So Ephesians butts up to Philippians. Philippians is sitting right here. Sorry. Um, book of Ephesians though has been <clears throat> one, one of my favorites. And so here are some of my top takeaways from this book. And, and, and bear with me. If you've been here throughout our entire study, I think you'll, you'll think back and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If you haven't been here, it's fine. These are going to make practical sense to you. Uh, Number one, before we can practically apply, we must theologically comprehend. If this book taught me anything, before we can live it out, we must learn it. Before we can be consistent in our walk, we must be consistent with understanding our why. This is the entire premise of this book because as we've said many times, and if you've been here through the whole thing, you're probably tired of hearing this. But hey, repetition is the key to learning. So here we go one more time. The first three chapters of this book are spent theologically drilling into us truths that we need as a Christian. You need to know this. You need to know about the Holy Spirit we're going to talk about. You need to know about grace. You need to know about these. You need to know, understand about a multicultural church. You need to know that. But then he spends the last three chapters of this book teaching us how to be good parents, giving us instructions on being a father or being a mother or being a, a proper teenager or child, gives us instructions on how to, in, in, the, in, the, in the servant, master, employee, employer relationship, he gives us some practical things, but before he gives us the practical, he gives us the theological. And I will say this, just practically speaking, Christian, you will experience something called burnout, if you are just busy doing the what of the Christian life and not understanding the why behind it, you will burn out. How many of you have experienced somebody who used to be on fire for the Lord? You can raise your hand. It's all good. They're not in this room. Uh, if they were on fire for the Lord and you look later and you're like, whatever happened to that guy or that lady? Maybe they're still around, but they're not as plugged in. What, what, what happened? What, what was it? I believe it's so often that we are so busy doing the what for Jesus that we don't understand the why of Jesus. A great resource that will help you, and this man is not a believer, 
And so this is not a biblical resource. This is a practical resource. But there's a, a book called Start With Why by a man named Simon Sinek. And if you're not familiar with Simon Sinek, once again, he's an unbeliever. Um, he's got another book called Leaders Eat Last. It's a, great, it's a great book. But his one called Start With Why, I would suggest that you take that and read that book, especially if you're like a business entrepreneur type mind. Um, if you don't know why you're doing something, it won't be long before you're not doing it. In a nutshell. That's the premise of the book. I believe it's a biblical principle, even though he doesn't understand that it's a biblical principle. I believe it is a biblical principle. It's a great book for you. But before we can practically apply righteousness, we must theologically comprehend righteousness. I don't want to have a church of flash-in-the-pan burnout. I don't want to have a church of, man, the, these people were on fire for Jesus and they were serving. And then, What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And, and six months later, it's like, hey, whatever happened to, whatever happened to them? No, I don't want that. I want us to understand our why. I want us to understand Philippians 1, 2, and 3 as we seek to live out Philippians 4, 5, and 6. So before we practically apply, we must theologically comprehend secondly my top takeaways from the book of ephesians secondly the eternal seal of the holy spirit was on the heart of every believer the eternal seal of the holy this is extremely important verbiage in ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 in him speaking of jesus okay context understand here in jesus you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when you were saved, when you trusted in Jesus for your eternal salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We believe that the Bible teaches us in these verses that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and it becomes a real relationship with Him, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is given to us and indwells our hearts. And we are sealed by that Holy Spirit. That is an important topic today. And let me warn, let, just let me warn you, there are churches all over this, this town right here and, and we... We keep our church kind of generic Keystone Church for the most part because we're not here to reach people that just only believe exactly like we believe. That's not our purpose. Okay. Uh, however, there are many other churches that have the same philosophy. And if, you don't, if you're not careful, the doctrine that is taught within that church is that if you, there will come a time where you can unbelieve or you, that you will get to a point where you have rejected your faith. And by the way, we don't believe the Bible teaches that. We believe that if you are a true believer... If you have truly believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are eternally secure in Him through His Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. Why do we believe that? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 teaches it. He says the Holy Spirit is given to us, and not only is He given to us, He is there for basically a down payment. He's there basically for earnest money. He is there basically saying, listen, I am going to perform this act of salvation in your life. I will do it, and here's how I'm going to prove it to you. Here's the Holy Spirit. Hey, until the day that we're glorified, here's my Holy Spirit. Uh, I've heard it said this way, and I agree with this 100%. You have been saved. 
the day you trusted Jesus Christ, you have been saved. You are being saved right now through the process of sanctification. Justification was the first one. You are being saved right now with the process of sanctification. And one day you will be saved in glorification when you enter heaven's gates. Listen, it's all the act of salvation. But we are sealed in that, in that promise through the Holy Spirit. And it's an important doctrine. It's very important to know because you're not going to be the Christian that you ought to be if you're living in constant doubt of your eternal salvation. You're not going to be able to live for Christ and be, and you will burn out if you think that, hey, if I continue to do more good than bad, then certainly God's going to keep me in his family. No, you cannot fully thrive for Jesus and, and fully live for him as a follower of him until you understand that no matter what happens tomorrow, I am his child. Listen, I can, I can change the way I look. I can move to another part of the world. I can lose, uh, I can, I can lose my hair. I could lose weight. I could, I could stretch and try to grow a little bit. I could trim the beard into an odd mustache for me, whatever, whatever I want to do. But at the end of the day, I'm still my father's son. I'm still my father's son. I mean, I could move to Florida. I mean, we got somebody in our church in Miami this week. Lord have mercy. That's where I want to go. All right, I could live in Miami the rest of my life. And I could be, be, get a tan, and my dad's fairly fair skinned He's a white, white dude. So I could, I, could, I could turn into, I could look Italian, I could whatever. I'm still going to be my father's son. I'm still going to be my father's son. You say, why is that important? It's because every single week there's doctrine being taught contrary to the Word of God in that aspect. The Holy Spirit indwelling us is a guarantee. It is a guarantee that God will keep his promise through the gospel, through Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit. So we've seen that before we can practically apply, we must theologically comprehend. We're flying. We're going over this. You ready? The eternal seal of the Holy Spirit is on the heart of every believer. Next, favorite highlight. The dead have been made alive by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to read a couple of verses here. hope that doesn't bother some of you. Um, we're going to read a little bit of Bible while we preach. Here we go. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first three verses that we did not read of, of, the, of the second chapter in the letter to the Christians at Ephesus highlight our sinful nature and how wicked that we are. But then we began our reading in verse 4 with two of my favorite words in Scripture. But God. But God. Sinful, sinful, depraved, horrible, wicked, fleshly, lusts, murder, but God. But God, 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He hath loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. You see, Jesus, God did not send His Son, Jesus, to this world to make someone bad good. He didn't send Jesus to this world to make someone who was struggling not struggle so much anymore. Jesus didn't send... God didn't send Jesus to this world to make you a better improvement of who you already were. God sent Jesus to this earth to make dead people come alive. Spiritually dead. Completely dead in our sins. Jesus came to make us alive. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power, that's the theological, that's the transfer from death to life, from darkness to light. It is the fact that Jesus came to make us alive. And all of this, verses 8 and 9 tell us, all of this happens by the grace of God. I, I feel like I repeat myself because I have preached this before. But uh, it says this, that it is, it is by the grace of God in verse 9, and it is not of works works lest any man should boast and i said this and i'm gonna say it again you know why because if we could boast about it we would if we had anything to do with our salvation we would boast about it lest you think you did anything to earn the favor of god lest you think you did anything to earn his righteousness it was 100 percent god and it was zero percent you zero percent you the only act you performed is this right here Surrender. That's the only act you performed. Or for me, the way it physically played out was I was gripping the back of a pew and my knuckles were white, going, I'm not moving. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm not moving. Nope. I've, I've, I've doubted that Jesus was my Savior my whole life. I'm just going to doubt a little bit more. I'm not moving. And it really, literally came. My salvation came for me and this right here. So we came, and I went and found a friend, and, and Jesus saved me. That's the way it came for me. But it is by grace, and it is through faith. So we see that we, can, we need to practically apply before we... I'm sorry, we must theologically comprehend before we practically apply. We have the eternal seal of the Holy Spirit. The dead have been made alive through Christ. Our next highlight is that the local church should be a beautiful multi-ethnic display of God's creation a beautiful I'm not I promise you I'm not going to re-preach this this is my longest sermon I think I've ever preached in my life I was close the last couple of weeks I'm not gonna lie but that one was Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 says this now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Simply put, yes, there's a long-term Old Testament theological uh, application to this that the Jews thought they were the only people that were, could be saved. Okay, um, And yes, theologically, God is saying that through Jesus, now anyone can be saved. But there was a practical truth 
that was known to the Christians in Ephesus through this. And that practical truth was beforehand, it was just the Jews were worshiping with just the Jews. And then it was the others that would worship with the others. And Paul says, no, there's no more Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. No, we are to worship together. And we've spoken about that at length. We spent two weeks on this, I believe, maybe three, two to three weeks on this, speaking how God has called us to reflect our community better and to reflect our future community in heaven better. And we do that no better than when we worship with people who are different than we are. You say, Josh, are we there yet? No way in the world. Not close. My prayer is that we're there. My steps are that we are there. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, we're, we're going to be getting some information to you about some opportunities this summer. We have some neighborhoods, some apartment complexes that are, that there's one specific that said, listen, you can come in here and do whatever you want. As a church, we need all the help we can get from the faith community. That's what we were told. We are going to take specific steps to not just go into a low income neighborhood and drop off some pizza and say, all right, guys, we'll come back around in a few months when we're feeling guilty again and drop off some more pizza and throw a little bit more money at you. And then we'll move on back to our little world. and You stay here in your world. That's not what we're about. My goal is that when our church shows up in this specific neighborhood that I'm thinking of, that I've already talked to, that when we show up there, they say, oh, there's the, that's the people from Keystone. Oh, they're the ones who were, who were teaching us the Bible throughout the summer. Those are the ones that were, that were at our, our pool party that we had. Those are the ones that were at all these events that we're doing. Okay, yeah, I know them. They're, they're, yeah, 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 come on, come on, let's go. That's my goal, is that we develop true friendships and relationships with people that are different than us so that we can begin the process of forming relationships with them to where they will come and worship with us so that we can reflect the beauty of our community here in Durham and the beauty of our heavenly community. Guess what? You, this is a pet peeve of mine. Oh, I don't like that kind, of, that kind of Christian music. Awesome. If I was the Lord, I don't like Christian rap. Okay, if I was the Lord, when we get to heaven... I would place you right next to a Christian rapper for all of eternity. You and Lecrae sitting right next to each other, worshiping Jesus together. If I were him, now I'm not God, if I were him. Oh, well, I don't like some of that new stuff. That's cool. I hope that the Lord puts you next to Elevation Worship in heaven, and you have to listen to Chris Brown sing every single song. Well, I don't like the hymns. They're so old and outdated. I hope God sits you next to George Beverly Shea. Who was, who was Billy Graham's hymn singer. That, I hope he sits you right next to him and he sings in your ear. All that to say, I don't like black gospel. Well, I hope God sits you next to Kurt Franklin and Kurt Franklin dances and sings all over you in heaven for all eternity. All that to say, if we are going to reflect not only who we are in Durham, but who we are going to be one day, then we're going to have to get over some stuff. We're going to have to get over some stuff. It's all good. We remember, we ain't singing to worship you anyway. We're singing to worship him. And, and today, it's later, but today in Africa, people danced around with only drums and tambourines and, and, and sang praises to Jesus. And a little bit before that in the Philippines, they sang in some Asian form of singing that they, they sang to Jesus. And a little bit later on today, there'll be somebody on the West Coast that sings a little differently than you. Maybe someone in Western part of Mexico that's going to sing a little bit different. Hey, listen, 
it's all good. It's all good because we're not worshiping you. We're not worshiping me. We're worshiping Jesus. Worshiping him. And we've got to get over some of those things because God has called us to reflect the beauty of our community and the beauty of our heavenly community. To go along with that, my, my next highlight or my next favorite was we are to walk worthy of our calling in unity. In unity. Ephesians chapter 4, this is where we transfer to some practical living. The first verse of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's leading us up to something. Verse 2 is leading us to verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the bond. How can we do that? But how can we accomplish verse 3, verse 2? Lowliness, gentleness, long suffering, bearing with one another in love. We can then endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in y'all. All right, in you all. Paul was in the southern part of... Uh, <laughs> we will not be able to practically live out our Christian faith in disunity. Listen, that's a, it's a universal... You will not live out your God-given marriage in disunity. You will not live out any aspect of your Christian life that deals with other people if you are not unified. Unity. Unity. We are a a church that's 18 months old. We don't have 18 years of issues. We just have 18 months of issues. And so many of the much of the unity talk can be corrective. But let's not fool ourselves. You serve in Keystone Kids, you serve with other human beings. There's a high potential for a lack of unity. Hey, you serve on the worship team, you, uh, you play an instrument, you're a vocalist. There's a, where, where two or more people are gathered, disunity could be up in that house. Okay? And if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to live to follow him, we must walk worthy of our calling and we must do so in unity. Unity. I've only got two more, and these are, these are fresh. These are within the last few weeks. So I'm, you know, I'm just going to give them to you. It's all good. We're the walk worthy of our calling and unity. Next, we are to imitate our creator, God. And, and I'm not going to read all this. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. Be therefore imitators of God. I love that word, imitators. Uh, better than, than the way that it's translated in, 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 in other ways. I love that word, imitators, because... I can follow someone and not be imitating them. Let me give you the the difference, okay? Nicole, you know, we're good friends. Birthdays are very close together. We're the same age. All that good stuff. If I'm going to follow Nicole, I'm not going to make you do this, but she could get up and she could walk around and I could just follow her. Now, she could be walking, you know, straight and tall like a soldier. Um, And I I could be following her and I could be like, 
It's the way I walked in high school. I'm not going to lie. All right, so, uh, so I, could, I could be walking like that. Um, and y'all wonder why I have something. Anyway, so I'm going to stop. My wife's not in here. Right? Okay, good. All right. Um, I can follow her, and I'll still be wearing this shirt and these pants and these shoes. I don't look anything like her. I don't act anything like her, but I'm following her. I love the word imitator because in order for me to imitate, and the Lord knows I wouldn't do this, but I'd go find me some, you know, some jeans that fit me a little snugger than this, and I'd go find that shirt, and I would put that shirt, and I'd go find those shoes. We're actually pretty close on the shoes. Um, I'd go find those shoes right there. I'd get those glasses. I'd get that hair. Okay, let's be real. If I'm going to imitate her, and then how she walks, I'm going to walk, and how she speaks, I'm going to speak, and then, right, there's a little bit more to it when it's imitating. You see, I can follow someone and not really look, act, smell, speak like them. But I can't imitate someone without, I want, I want my entire being to reflect that person. And we are called to imitate God. That means everything that we do, we want to reflect our Creator. We want when people see us, they go, man, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. Hey, listen, that, wow, I, I've, never, I've never really experienced anything like that before. That person's godly. That person is, is, is godly. We went through in chapter 5, and, and, and uh, Tim actually helped us walk through this chapter uh, for a couple of weeks, walking in love and in light and wisdom and worship, walking in the Spirit. These are ways that we imitate our Almighty God. That's practical. It doesn't get much more practical than that. Walking and living like Jesus. Remember, he waits until chapter 5 to say that. He spends four chapters pounding some truths into us. But we're to imitate God. And then lastly, the last few weeks we've been talking about, we have God's powerful armor as we fight the spiritual fight. I didn't go through the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. We talk about our role as parents, children, husbands, wives, employers, employees. We didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go back through and re-highlight that. But he, he ends with, in chapter 6, that, hey, we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. And all of this practical living, following God, imitating God, Walking worthy of what of our calling, he basically says, hey, if you're going to do this, hey, if you're going to understand your why, and if you're going to live it out, if you're going to live like a true believer, then Satan is going to fight you. How many of you have you've been there? Hey, if, if you're going to do it, if you're going to live this life as a Christian, Satan is going to fight. And for some of us, and for some of you, he's fighting. You know it. You can feel that. In fact, I believe it was two weeks ago um, when, we, when we preached on this. I mean, I knew that, that there was spiritual warfare. I could, I could tell. But we do live in the middle of a spiritual fight. And while you should be a great husband or a great wife, and you should be a great parent, and you should be a great employee... At the end of the day, you need to understand that you, we do not fight and we do not war against flesh and blood. We war in the spiritual. 
against principalities, against powers. Listen, and your issues that you're having at work might not be issues with work. It might be issues with the devil, the tempter, who is using that as a tool to fight you spiritually. Maybe if there's one thing you can take from this, your issue may not be your spouse. And, and, And for real, there can be marriage issues. There are. By the way, if you got marriage issues, like you're among friends, guys, it's okay. It's all good. Please don't think because we all come to church on Sunday and shake your hand and smile. They're like, everything's great and we never have issues. Man, we got issues, man. Everybody's got issues. But don't, don't think your spouse is your issue. How about we take a spiritual look? Is God using, or is, I'm sorry, is the devil using, God allowing, is the devil using my relationship with my husband or my wife as a part of a spiritual battle? As a part of a spiritual battle. And we must put on that armor of God so that we can stand. And we don't put on that armor as Russell Crowe in the Gladiator movie. No, we put on that armor as the little shrimp dude and little giants. We are weak. You got those, Justin? Man, sorry. My bad. I should have resent them. Um, we put on our armor not as someone who's already physically fit, spiritually fit. We put on our armor as we are weak. And what's that little dude? He's like, like that right there with a shirt off. That's us. And we just need, we need the armor, the spiritual armor. As we wrap up this book, I hope you maybe remembered some of the, the um, sermons that we spoke through. But as we wrap this book up, if you said, Josh, I, I, wanna, I want you to pick one passage that is the central crux of this entire book i think we would have to say that it's ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works works lest anyone should boast You see, this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have a personal, real, legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have that relationship with him because of him. You see, 2,000 years ago on this earth, in the Middle East, there was a man who was born to a virgin, miracle birth, to a father who was a carpenter, nothing special, but he was born and he lived a perfect life. He, was not, he didn't come riding in on the white horse in purple garments. No, he was literally born in a manger, the Bible calls it, a, in a stable, like a little place where they would feed the animals. And he lived a, a perfect life. The life that I couldn't live. That I, If I tried to live it, I'd fail every single day. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, in God's grace, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to say, listen, it's okay. If you can't live the perfect life, it's okay. I have a plan. I've got a plan. And that plan is Jesus. That plan is a perfect, sinless son of God living on this earth and being crucified on a cross. Having all power, 
to take Himself off of that cross. Having all power to say, take care of them. Let's go. Kill all of them. Kill all the bad. Keep all the good. Let's move on. He had all power to do whatever. But you know what He did? He willingly stayed on a cross. And He died. For the wages of sin is death. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. There is a penalty. So you have a choice to make today. You can be one where Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 ring true. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Praise the Lord. Or you can choose to pay the wage for your own sin. Listen, payment has to... God is a just God. Payment has to be made for your sin. And you have a choice. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a choice to make today. And that choice is, am I going to pay for my sin? For the wages of sin is death. Or am I going to allow the death that Jesus has already experienced on the cross? Am I going to trust in that? To pay for my sin. It's the most important two verses in this entire book of the Bible. And what you do with those two verses, literally your eternity hangs in the balance. You see, if you choose to pay the penalty for your own sin, we will all leave this earth some point in time. We don't know the, the day or the hour. We will all leave this earth one time, sometime. If you choose to reject Jesus and to pay for your own sin, then God will allow you to do that. And for eternity, you will pay for your own sin. But if you will accept the gift of grace, repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then your slate is wiped clean. Your payment is paid. Stamped, signed, sealed, delivered, out of here. Y'all know where I was going with that. At the end of the day, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.